much for joining us today on episode number 81 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today we are going to be talking about the long run. It might be your best friend, you might not like it that much, but Sunday run day is definitely a hashtag for a reason. So today we're going to talk about all of the reasons to incorporate a long run into the training and all of the benefits that they give us. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, so you went with Sunday Run Day. I'm going to go with the Church of the Sunday Long Run. The Church of the Sunday Long Run. I have never heard of that. It's it's kind of a joke among the long-distance running community that every Sunday morning, what do you have to get up and do? Long run. It's so funny because I have always done my long runs on Saturdays. I know, so you just don't quite get the joke. Yeah, I mean, I get it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not dumb, but like I get the joke. But it's Sunday has never been my long run day. Because, I know, and yet you still have it call it Sunday Fun Day or Sunday Run Day. Well, it's what you see on social media. Yeah, I don't know. I I get up at the way before the crack of dawn so I can knock out the miles and then still get to actual church. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, so, then that's why I don't do my long run on Sunday because I do it on Saturday instead. Yeah, I know it works. We've got we've got to split it between the two of us. So um, the the long run it goes into every training program that you've ever seen. And why are we talking about this? Well, someone asked over the weekend. A friend of ours who who were helping with uh, with her running said, "I'm running a 10k. How come you made me run nine miles?" Mm-hmm. you've also asked me this question years back. Oh, yeah. I, it was like, I want to run a 5K. Why would I ever have to run six miles? No, five. <laughs> I, I was thinking, I was questioning. Four. <laughs> why would I run more than I actually have to race? I don't understand that. And and yet, if you look in any any training program provided online and in any book and any coaching philosophy, they all put in the long run. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did not understand this when I first started running. I mean, it goes back to the the training pendulum kind of swings back and forth. And it goes to where the pendulum was people running like 200 plus miles a week and everything was ridiculously long runs and just build huge, massive cardio systems and you should be able to run forever at whatever pace. Mm-hmm. It, it swung back. There's not a lot of people still cranking out over 200 mile weeks, but, mm-hmm. um, there are still great actual adaptations from running a really long time. Right. And so we're going to start talking today about some of the physical adaptations that we get from the long run, some of the mental adaptations that we get for the wrong, um, from the long run and why you really should be incorporating some sort of long run into your schedule. And then we'll get into the how to and the nitty gritty of exactly how long of a run should you be incorporating based on what distances you are training for, based on what your goals are and based on who you are, like we you know, like to break it down for every real life runner out there. So let's start with the physical adaptations that we gain from the long run. All right. Well, I get to use the big fancy words on this episode. It has increased mitochondrial density and capillary functions. Okay. Nailed it. Good. Now explain. All right. So you, (laughs) so Inside your cells, you have little mitochondria. If you remember anything out of biology from high school, it's that there was the mighty mitochondria that was like the generator within your cells. Mm -hmm. I swear it says it in every biology textbook I've ever looked at (laughs) over like decades. Um, 
it's it's the little thing that goes inside of all of your cells that helps turn food into actual usable energy. It is a massive oversimplification of the process. Massive oversimplification is correct. It's the thing that actually provides energy for your cells. Right. It's what everyone likes to think of as the the power plant of the the power plant. Yes, there it is. The energy cell power plant. And and increased capillaries. So at the at the end of your blood vessels, when you're trying to actually get blood to the muscles, you get little tiny, tiny tubes instead of veins and arteries. They break down into little tiny capillaries and they surround your muscles. Right. So when you go out on a long run, you are basically forcing your body to make physical adaptations to start um, creating more energy. I shouldn't say creating, converting more energy, yes. right? We're, Energy is neither created nor destroyed. It's just there. We're just starting converting. So your body becomes more efficient at converting energy because you have more little energy powerhouses in your cells. You can actually build the number of mitochondria that you have. And then your body actually starts to build more roads for the blood to get to your muscles, which are the capillary networks. Yeah. So for the mitochondria to work at their best, they need to have oxygen flowing towards them. So you not only build the power plants, but you build roads that are driving fuel into the power plants. Mm -hmm. So you've got blood flow that's bringing the oxygen. You've got blood flow that's bringing literally sugar inside of your bloodstream, that all heads into your cells and it causes the cells to be able to actually convert them and create more energy so you can keep running longer and longer. Exactly. Because when you go out on a long run, especially if it's the first time that you've ever been on your feet for that long, been running that long, gone that distance, your body has never done that before. So it doesn't really know what to do and you're forcing it to figure out what to do. So the next time that you do that, the body says, okay, well, after the first time, first, second, third time, after the first few times, your body says, oh, okay, this person is putting an increased demand on me. I need to adapt in order to compensate for that increased demand that this person is placing on me. So I need to make all of these adaptations so that the next time we do this, it doesn't feel this bad. Yeah. I mean, that's the basic premise behind most adaptations that you have through exercise is you put your body into a state of stress and then allow the adaptations to take place. Which happened during the rest periods. Which is during the rest periods. You, You feed it appropriately. You get enough sleep. You allow it to rest and it will then recover beyond what you just did. Mm -hmm. So it'll say, okay, well, you took me to this place and I hurt a lot. So I need to be able to at least cover that and probably a little extra where it actually overcompensates and and you get even more benefits than you should, which is always nice. Always nice. Okay. So number two, it helped long runs help to increase your strength and stamina. Yes. That one's pretty obvious. That one's pretty clear. It's, it's really difficult to simulate running a marathon if you've never actually been out on your feet for that length of time. Mm -hmm. We'll get into... I was going to say that that's a tricky one that you just brought up. I know. And we'll get into this a lot more later when we talk about how fast and how far should you go on on your various just on your long runs but i think that one of the guiding principles is for most people and there's caveats and we'll get into it later but for most people if you're planning on running a marathon your long run should be 
probably at least the amount of time that you're planning on being on your feet for the marathon. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the distance, but probably the time. Well, depending on what person. Yeah, I know. And we'll get into this later where we talk about how far and how fast should you actually go. But um, it's hard to simulate being on your feet that long unless you do it. Some people, are they just need to get close. And then they're like, okay, I've been out there for a really long time. And, and they gain some adaptations of of the physical stress of being out there for that long. But you you have you can't simulate a marathon by going out for a half hour run. It just doesn't work. Right, right. That's that's the biggest thing is you you can't do it with a bunch of short little runs tacked together. You have to have the actual really long run. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So the next uh, note that you put in here were, was running does not cause bad knees. <laughs> yeah, everyone, all the non-runners love to point out, oh, I, I would run, but every time I start running, it hurts my knees. Like mm, running doesn't make your knees hurt and running really long is not going to suddenly make your knees hurt even faster. Running with poor form running long with poor form, running with poor running shoes, running with poor biomechanics, these are things that could cause your knees or your backs or your shins or your hips, those things to hurt. Right. And increasing anything too quickly can cause those pains and injury. And so, you know, not it's not just the the mechanics and all those things. It's actually the muscles are actually weak. So running with weak muscles actually causes those uh, the knee pain or the back pain or the hip pain. And so that's why it's important for you to build your long run slowly because you are also building the strength of all of the stabilizing muscles that are helping to support your body along the way so that you don't start to develop all of those aches and pains and the knee pain and the shin pain and all the other pains. When you start increasing things too quickly, your muscles don't have time to catch up and they don't have time to strengthen and so that they're not doing a good job stabilizing you. And then, of course, if you throw poor mechanics and poor footwear on top of weak muscles, you're just concocting a nice little uh thing for pain potion recipe recipe i think recipe i already said concocting so i didn't want to use concoction <laughs> it's, it's a recipe or a potion, <laughs> a potion. <laughs> it's a potion of pain yeah, um, the perfect storm there you go it's the perfect storm i think that's what you were going for um but yeah I, you state it really well there is it's it's not that running really long hurts you. It's running really long with the weak muscles. So you have to gradually build up. Just because the you know your theoretical ideal plan that you found online says, I'd like to run a 5K, I should run a lot of three-mile runs, and my long run should be a seven, doesn't mean week one you should go off and run a seven-mile run. Right. If you've never run more than three, your long run should be three and a half, maybe four, mm-hmm. and then maybe add another half mile the next week. It has to be a slow buildup. Right. If you've been there already, then you can build back to it quicker, but you still have to be careful on your way on your way up the ladder. Right. And the other thing that I think it's important to point out when we talk about the strength of the muscles, just because you are strong, say you've been working out, say you've been doing CrossFit, you've been doing yoga, you've been doing other forms of working out, you're a swimmer, that is excellent. And your muscles are probably very strong, but Even so, you probably should not just jump right into some sort of long distance plan. Like you, it's still important to build up because running is 
activity specific. All activities are. So I think that that's just an important thing to, that to point out. Like even if you have strong muscles, even if you are a fit person, it's still going to take a little bit of time to build yourself up in running specifically. And you will probably progress a lot faster than somebody that's completely out of shape. You That will happen, but it's not like you can just go from not running at all into running a half marathon or a marathon and not expect to have some sort of pain. Yeah, that's excellent. It kind of relates to our last topic where we were talking about cross training is if you're running, even if you're like some super elite runner, you're cranking out a hundred miles a week. That doesn't mean that if you get hurt, you can then flip to a bike and crank out like a cycling equivalent. You know, you can look online. I've, I've seen it where it's like, one running mile is equivalent to three cycling miles. So if you're running 100 miles a week, you should just be able to flip over and do 300 miles cycling. Yeah. No, no. By like afternoon number two, you're just going to want to lay down in just absolute soreness. No, my hips are are very aware of that right now. Right. Yeah. It's tough to flip from one thing to the other. It's it's very activity specific. So be gradual in the buildup. Yeah. I mean, I've been running for and training for very, a very long time now. I've been very consistent. I've been, you know, every week I've been running multiple times per week, but lately, to be honest, here's, here's a little confession. I have been slacking off a little bit on the strength training and the other cross training that I do. And so yesterday I did a 15 minute hit workout that was like mostly plyometrics. I did a lot of jumping. I did some alternating jump lunges and I did, um, a couple other, like some burpees and those kind of things. So there was a lot of jumping involved and my hips are so sore today. And it's because I haven't done those specific things in a while. Like I'm still in very good shape. I, you know, just ran my PR for my 5k. I ran a PR two months ago in the half. So I'm very fit and very in shape right now, but I have not done those specific exercises and my hips are so sore today. That's, that's funny. I got, I got more stories I want to add on that, but, uh, we gotta, gotta keep rolling off of this guy. So let's move on to, to point three on this guy. For the physical adaptations. Physical adaptations. Of it, the long run. It helps optimize your fuel systems. Okay. Okay. Long runs will drain your primary fuel system. Your body wants to, it, it it'll burn fuel in whatever is the most efficient process that it can come up with. Mm-hmm. So once you start... So that's glucose. That's glucose. Right. So it drains out all the glucose that you have and all the stored glycogen that you have in your body. And then it starts looking for other places to find fuel. Right. And... That's when it turns to your fat cells. That's when it turns to fat. Right. If you regularly deplete yourself so that um, your your glycogen stores are, are essentially running on empty by the end of your run, your body essentially has two things it can do. It can either figure out how to store more glycogen, mm-hmm. which is one solid adaptation, especially right. if you're training does. for a marathon. Right. It definitely does that. Or, and it usually will do both of these, it will then change the glycogen to fat burning as you're running. It will start burning more fat Mm -hmm. because it says, okay, well, I can only store so much glycogen. This guy keeps running really, really long. So we're going to have to start burning a little bit more fat when we're running so that we don't drain the glycogen quite as quickly. Right. And especially on the long run, which really should be at slower paces, it's much easier for the body to switch over to start using fat as fuel because you have more oxygen available. Because when you are running at those slower paces, you're not breathing as hard. So you have more oxygen in your system versus the speed workouts where your breathing is so much more labored. It's hard for you to 
have your breathing keep up with the demands of the speed work. But on the you know on the long run side of it, your breathing should be pretty comfortable because you're going at an easy, comfortable, conversational pace. So your body it, it's much easier for it to flip over into fat burning mode. Yeah, I mean, by the end of a long run, you should be tired and your legs should just feel exhausted. But you shouldn't be like finish the long run and have to like bend over and start panting like right. that. You're you, you were going too breath. fast. Yeah. Um, all right. So number four, you recruit all of your muscle fibers on a long run. Okay. This kind of goes back to fueling. When you run out of your primary fuel source, your body has to figure out what else to do. It starts flipping over to fat. You recruit all of your muscle fibers. If you're running long and slow, it's going to use your slow twitch muscle fibers because those are the ones that have to be used. It makes the most sense to use slow twitch muscle fibers when you're running long and slow. Mm -hmm. But by the end of your run, especially if you've never been running that far, you're going to run out of fuel in those muscles. Your body's going to start looking for muscles that still have glycogen to burn. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it will then start burning the fuel and you'll start recruiting your fast twitch muscle fibers, even though you're running aerobically. Really? Yes. Okay. I, is, I, I, when I read this one is phenomenal adaptation is you can actually burn the, the activate the muscles, activate your fast twitch, which are generally the ones you're picking up in like sprints on the back end of a really long distance run. Just because everything is so depleted. Everything is so depleted. So if you've ever run a long run, you're like, wow, I didn't expect to be sore there. It's because you weren't normally using those muscles on like your casual, normal, everyday distance run because you don't have to get into activating those muscles. You've got enough stored energy in your in your primary slow twitch fibers that you're using those. But by the end of a long run, you're using any muscles that still have energy available. Well, I mean, to be, I mean, honestly, though it's all of your muscles have both slow twitch and fast twitch so it's not that you're using different muscles you're you're just using the other fibers the other fibers within them yes yeah yeah, so that I just every, think that's an important distinction. Yes, yes, it's it's whatever muscle fibers are still functional, essentially. Right, right. All right, great. So I think those are some really good physical adaptations that we get during the long run. Now let's talk about the mental side of things because, as we know, and as you guys know, we love to talk about the mental side of running and of training. And there are tons of mental adaptations that you can get on the long run. Number one, just being that you're forcing yourself to go out there and be out there running for a long time. Yes. Yes. That is a fantastic, uh, adaptation. One of, uh, one of the athletes on the track team, one of my favorites out there, I had her going through this workout the other day and she was right at like probably the hardest rep of the workout. It kind of pulled back a little bit afterwards. And she goes, I I just, I wanted to slow down. And I thought to myself, no, running is mental. And then I looked down and I was wearing the shirt that says running is mental and we're all insane. And I thought I'm going for it. (laughs) That's so cute. It's fantastic. That's so cute. So you have to, on, on your long run, you have to go out there and you have to sustain a certain pace. I mean, not really sustain a pace necessarily because your long runs for the most part should be easy. We're going to talk about workouts within a long run later in the episode, but Essentially, you just get tired when you're out there. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been out on a long run and I'm just like, okay, I'm ready for this to be over now. I'm just tired. That's what it is, is I'm just ready for this to be over. What's what's the next thing I'm going to do? Yeah. Oh, I still have another 10 miles to go? Right. Great. Right. And, you know, there are those days that I'm out there and I'm talking to my friends and we're having a great conversation and I 
don't want that to be over, but I want to be done running <laughs> because my legs are tired. Yeah, sustaining a, a continued effort, even if that effort is a fairly low level, a continued effort requires some mental and physical effort. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to keep going through both mental and physical fatigue. Right. And so that gets into the next mental strategy where you are you, you start to learn different coping strategies. Like when you're out there on a run for so such a long period of time, you can't really just do one thing to get you through. Like some people might listen to music or might listen to podcasts on your run. And if you're on your long run listening to us right now, hello. Thank you for listening. <laughs> but so there are those things, but there are those times when maybe you run without your headphones and you have to try to maybe for a portion of the run, you tune into your body. Maybe you see how are my legs feeling? You kind of take a little body inventory. Maybe for another portion of the run, you start to look around and enjoy the sunset. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about my long runs on Saturday is seeing the sunrise. I just said sunset, but seeing the sunrise in the morning when I'm running along the beach is one of the best things about waking up early and going out for a long run on Saturday morning is just to watch the progression and the the colors of the sky over the ocean. It's just so gorgeous and so peaceful. And it's just such a moment of gratitude that I have that I get to have every Saturday morning. Yeah, that's that's a great way to way to look at it. I love that you're listing all of these different coping mechanisms. For people who are used to um racing something like a 5k you don't have to have that extensive of a list of coping mechanisms because you're only going for you know 20 30 minutes Mm -hmm. so you've got that list of things maybe you've got like a mantra that you repeat you can cover that and you're not even in pain for the whole 5k it's maybe it's the last 10 minutes of it the last like seven to ten minutes of it of the 5k of a 5k oh 5k hurts yeah but not like the opening mile of it Mm. I'm usually pretty good at the mile mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then, and then you turn the corner. Well, at least the 5K, the 5K that I'm most familiar with is the one that loops my school. Yeah. And so right after the mile mark, you turn the corner and it is more than a one mile straight away. Yeah. It's, that's just brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. you've got different coping mechanisms. So on something where you're, you're going for 10 to 15 minutes of like pure focus, a mantra will get you through. When you're trying to focus and, and go for an hour where you're still pushing through, you've got to have a whole bunch of methods. Mm-hmm. So tuning into your body, tuning out of your body and enjoying the world around you. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to try the out of body experience. Envision as though you are watching yourself on the run. That's, That's a good one. Yeah. Kind of float outside of yourself and be mm-hmm. like, look at this guy running down the street here. Yeah, it's a nice one. <laughs> okay. If, if the shadows are working well with you, you kind of feel like you're out there running with other people. I do a lot of my runs solo, so I've got different coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. I don't carry on a lot of conversations with the people around me. Yeah, I, uh, I just find people to run with. And like, <laughs> we had, I mean, I, I have some of the best conversations on my long runs. The the couple girls that I ran with last weekend, I mean, we were getting into personal development. We were getting into parenting. We were getting into marriages. I mean, we covered, we are getting into female issues. I mean, we covered a whole range of topics. I've never gotten to female issues on one of my long runs. Every once in a while, I'll like, I'll wave at a guy as I run past. <laughs> there's one guy that I saw like three weekends in a row. We kind of like fist pumped. Um, there's one guy in our neighborhood that I've caught on like the end of my long run. I've never run with him, but like right as I was finishing, he was passing our neighborhood. So we said good morning to each other. That's, that's my main lengthy conversations. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And then the third um, mental adaptation is that you get to feel 
different levels of running. Yes, it's a great time to try and master what your easy pace actually is. Yeah, and not only master what your easy pace is, but also think about your form while running an easy pace. Because I think that a lot of people have a hard time with this. This is one of the things that we've talked about in the past about you know, the importance of running slowly. And we've talked, covered that in in other episodes. And one of the reasons that people don't like running slowly is because they're not used to it. And so a lot of times they change their form while running slowly, which then makes them hurt in different places because they're actually running differently. So if you're going out on a long run, maybe, you know, for a part of that run, probably not the whole thing. We don't advise doing it the entire time. No, definitely not the whole thing. But for parts of the run, you know, maybe a little bit in the beginning, a little bit in the middle, a little bit at the end, you can focus on different parts of your running form. Maybe you want to focus on your arm swing for a couple minutes. Maybe you want to focus on your foot strike for a couple of minutes. Maybe you want to just focus on your breathing and your posture for a couple of minutes. So there are these things that just help you to, again, tune into your body and how you are running so that you can become a more efficient and a more comfortable runner. Yeah. I mean, I know years back, I really struggled to run at a much slower pace mm-hmm. than like 30 to 45 seconds off my marathon pace. Yeah. Like I just, I couldn't pull it back that much, anything slower than that. And I was just, I was aching all over the place. My knees would hurt after like a mile of this. Mm-hmm. And part of it was weak hips. And part of it was that my form just broke down when I was trying to go that slow. Yeah. And then you get stories of super elite Kenyan marathon runners they're running their marathon right around five minutes per mile mm-hmm. or under five minutes per mile. And they'll do their easy runs at like eight to nine minute per mile pace. Right. I mean, it's crazy how much and of the range they have. And their form looks immaculate. Yeah. That's the thing is it takes a little while to try and, and work on that form as you are going at an easy pace, but it's mm-hmm. really, really beneficial. Yeah, definitely. And one final thing about the mental adaptations of the long run, I feel like the long runs are a good opportunity for us to practice positivity and gratitude because it is so easy to become negative on a long run because you're tired, your body starts to fatigue, things start to get achy, and you want to just be like, oh my gosh, when is this going to be over? And it's, it's a nice time that we can try to start to flip our thinking into the gratitude that our bodies are allowing us to even do this. Yeah, that's a good that's a good mental flip. You know. I mean the long run is there's a lot of negativity that can come up, especially oh, yeah. if you do like an out and back where you turn around and you're like, I still have to get all the way back. Flip mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and have a more positive outlook on that of right. yeah, you you might see the sunrise on the way back mm-hmm. or enjoy the people that you're running with. Or, or just you're more be, than halfway done. Be thankful for the fact that you were able to go out there and, and run your long run. Yeah. Exactly. And that you have a family that allows you to do that or a spouse or whatever it might be. Perfect. Okay. So let's, so I think that we, you know, made a pretty good case for the physical and mental adaptations that you gain with the long runs, but let's talk about how to do this. Okay. So when, a little practicality. So when are we going to put these into our plan? Okay. So it all depends on your goal, which is really the overarching theme of all the practical stuff is when to do it, how to do it and all this stuff. It all depends on what your goal is. Most plans you'll find put a long run in once a week. Okay. If you are a lower mileage person or your schedule permits it, you can kind of rotate your schedule so that you essentially have, um, 
a full cycle every two weeks or every 10 days, but a standard training plan pretty much puts a long run in once a week. Yes, we definitely put long runs into our schedules once per week and all of our clients' schedules. Yes, we also do follow a slightly safer plan of pulling back after every uh, three or four weeks. Right. Yeah, there are some people that just build one mile per week or, you know, one or two miles per week and they just build their long run all the way up until whatever goal race they are running. But we do like to cycle ours. So we'll go three weeks up and then one week down. Or for some of our very newer runners, we'll go two weeks up and then one week down and then, you know, keep resuming back up. You say some of our newer runners, also for some of our much more veteran runners. True. Because I took that one off of, I forget which super elite runner, but as he got older, he said that he had to change his cycle. And instead right. of having three up weeks, he had two up weeks yeah. and then would have a recovery week. Yeah. It's a great way to just let your body recover off mm-hmm. of that one. Yes, definitely. Um, lower mileage uh, runners, especially people who are not aiming for like a half marathon, a marathon. If you're aiming more for like a 5k, you can get away with a long run every other week. Mm-hmm. Um, and those who are less injury prone can cycle longer. They can keep a few weeks up. Um, as long as you're being very careful with, uh, making sure that your intensity is also not going crazy on this, you can sustain, you can have more than three up weeks before you pull back. Mm-hmm. You just have to be really careful and listen to your body as you do this. Right. Absolutely. So, but okay. So then how long should you run on your long run? Okay. Uh, again, um, the goals help determine how far you should go. So at like the highest level, like elites are, if you're racing a 5k, so you're racing three miles, they're going to do long runs of somewhere in the 10 to 13 mile range, mm-hmm. which, uh, which even seems crazy. But I mean, even like high level high school athletes who are True. like cross country athletes, yeah. they race a 5k, they're going to be running somewhere in that 10 to 13 miles. So that's, that's roughly where you're at. Do they go over? Over 10 in high school? 15s. Yeah? Yeah, totally. Wow. Um, I mean, some go higher. I would never go higher. Like, even if we had, like, runners that, are, like, look physically stronger and look more like college athletes already, it, there's just... there's. I don't think that you're gaining as much benefit as much as you're opening yourself up to injuries. That's the thing is it's all a a risk reward thing. And I don't think you're gaining enough benefits for racing a 5k by running that long. Right. And I think that it's also a matter of how disciplined that runner is with holding recovery paces and hitting those other paces. Because if you're going out for a long run or on a recovery run and you push the pace on it, then you're not actually recovering and then you're just setting up for injury. Yeah, no, that's just a key setup for injury. Yeah. All right. Um, again, back to elites. If you're looking at an elite 10 K runner, they're looking at least into the upper teens, half marathon runners, the upper teens, upper teens wow. half marathon runners are running at least around 20 and marathon runners are well into the twenties. Elite marathon runners, 30s, right? Yeah. Elite marathon runners are going to get pretty close to 30, mm-hmm. but you have to think, um, that these guys are running around seven minutes per mile. So if they go off on a 20 mile run at seven minutes per mile, that's taking them a little over two hours. Like this is not an all day process. Also, if you're running over a hundred miles a week and you go off and run 20 miles, that's less than a quarter of your weekly mileage. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of things to take into account when 
like I do like to take advice from seeing what the elite runners do, but then try and come up with a practical way to translate it down. Right, right. Going off on 20 plus mile runs for real life runners is not very practical, especially if you're only running 40 miles a week. Perfect. If yeah, if you're running 40 miles a week and there will, there's definitely some training philosophies out there that say that your long run should never go beyond uh, 50% of your run mm-hmm. and then 50% if, of your weekly, of your weekly mileage. mileage. And then right. I've seen other ones that say it should never go beyond a third of your weekly mileage. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced, and I have not done enough research on this, but I'm thoroughly convinced that all of those authors are just making that number up. That mm-hmm. it's like, it just, 50% sounds like a good, it should right. not go beyond 50%. Well, that just seems like it more of a convenient number to throw out there than based off of anything. Yeah. I mean, we would have to definitely look into the research to see. Yeah. But uh, there's, there's a lot of disagreement out there about what the, the number should be. So mm-hmm. I think people are just sort of hypoth- hypothesizing what, what is a safe way to go. Okay. So those are good numbers for all the elites. What about us. Okay. So if you're looking for a 5k, um, I think at a minimum, you should be able to double the 5k distance. Okay. Okay. And then if you're really trying to push yourself a little bit more, kind of extend that. So somewhere in the six to 10 miles, Mm -hmm. if, if you're training for a 5k, depending on how much time you've got to work with, how much you enjoy the long run, Mm -hmm. but you enjoy your long run. Now I do. I did not used to. I know. But now, even if you were just training for something like a 5k, Mm -hmm. I think you'd still probably keep up generally somewhere between an eight to 10 mile long run over, over the weekend yes. just because you enjoy it. Well, sometimes I, I go down to like six or seven, but yes, I, I would say six to 10 is definitely the range that I stick into. Um, if I'm not training for something specific. The, also, the nice part about being in that six to 10 range is if then you decide that you want to do a half marathon, mm-hmm. you can ramp up into that half marathon yeah, distance very easy. pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I would say that because right now I don't have anything on the books, nothing, nothing big. I have um, that Spartan race at the end of next month, but I don't, I don't have anything else on the calendar for the rest of the year. Right. And I still like to maintain a six to 12 or 13 mile long run on the weekend, just depending on what I did. Like I, I did 10 miles last week with my friend cause she's training for a race and I haven't done double digits in a while. So I just wanted to do it. Yeah. My legs were tired. Yeah. No, <laughs> definitely tired. All right. If, if you're training for something like uh, a 10 K somewhere in the eight to 12 miles, again, depending on your experience level, depending on how much time commitment you've got, how much you're, you're pushing your total overall mileage, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Half marathon runners, you should be able to run at least a half marathon. Mm. Um, I In training for the last half marathon I ran, I got up to 15 was mm-hmm. my longest long run. Okay. But we're talking about people that are training for like their second, third, fourth, fifth half marathon. We're not necessarily talking about the first half marathon. No, for the first half marathon, you should, you probably... don't have to get to 13. No, you definitely don't have to get if to your 13. goal is completion, right? If your goal is, is more time-based, you should be able to run 13 before you go race 13. Right. If your goal is to get across the finish line, I think you can get across the finish line off of, off of 10, honestly. Yeah, yeah you can, so. you, you could complete a half marathon if your longest run was 10 miles. I think that there's something mental about saying that you've made it to double digits Mm -hmm. that says, okay, well, I've made it to 10. I can run a 5k at the end of that. Right. Like, cause then you can break it down into segments. Anytime you can break it down into reasonable segments, it's not that bad. You might not always feel great doing it. No, no, it's going to hurt a lot. Yeah. But (laughs) you'll be able to complete it. So we're talking about, you know, 
subsequent five or subsequent half marathons. Right. Where you're going to want to build it up to at least 13, uh, possibly push it over that. And this doesn't mean that depending on the person also does not mean that every weekend long run needs to be that range. Right. You know, we've got a lot of people We're that, talking about the longest run of your training cycle. Yes. Yes. And then, you know, depending on how long your training cycle goes, maybe you hit that longest run once, mm -hmm. maybe you hit it twice. Yeah. Um, but I, a lot of people that we're helping train for, uh, for half marathons, we keep them in the 10 to 12 range and then periodically pop up to something maybe a little bit longer. But that 10 right. to 12 is a pretty good sweet spot for half marathon training. Right. But, and then on our like down recovery weeks, we'll give them sometimes somewhere in the eight to 10 range just to let their body recover a little bit more, but then we'll pop them back up into double digits the following week. Perfect. Yeah. All right. For the marathon, 20-ish is kind of the go-to. You go to most books, they'll throw the number 20 out there. Um, and then everyone complains that when they hit 20 miles, they've hit the wall. It seems that there's something in common that the longest they've ever run is 20 and they hit the wall at mile 20, but I'm not sure that that's exactly corresponding. Why? There, there's also issues about how much, how long the fuel in your body can actually last for that tends to run out around that time also. Mm -hmm. So I feel that most people hit the wall due to fueling issues mm -hmm. and being able to take in enough, uh, enough fuel on their run. Right. Um, but I think that the 20 mile is, that's a good distance for, for most people. And again, this isn't that you have to hit every single weekend at 20, No. but you should probably build up to around 20. Right. You should build up to 20. I mean, personally, I'm going to try and take it farther than that over my next cycle, but we'll see how, how far I get to. Mm -hmm. I know you're nervous, mm -hmm. but I'm going for it. Okay. So how fast should we do our long runs? Uh, as slow as you can go while still running comfortably Okay. in general. And this is, again, goes back to what we said earlier in the episode about how sometimes you need to train your body to be able to run slower, more comfortably. Right. But one of the biggest problems of most casual runners is that they push the pace way too much on their long run. Yes. Suddenly their long run is a workout. Mm -hmm. And unless you're setting your week up for your long run to specifically be a like... A speed workout. Uh, yeah, or a stress-inducing workout. Right. It shouldn't be as as taxing as that. Like, well, because it's going to be stress-inducing just based on the, the amount of time and distance that you're doing. Right. So you, know, you don't also need pace to be an additional stressor on top of it. Right. Unless so, that's already built into your week. Yes. When, when we build this into our athletes' weeks, there's generally only one speed workout in the week. Instead right. of saying two speed days plus a long run, it's one speed day and a long run that has some bonuses put into it mm -hmm. that we'll talk about in the next section of the, uh, of the show here. Right. Um, so you need to make sure that you are going pretty slow on this run. In That means for the first few miles, it's going to feel uncomfortably slow or so slow that there's no way you're getting benefit out of it. Mm -hmm. Like the first few miles should be like, oh, we can definitely go faster than this or I could definitely push this pace. Mm -hmm. You should feel remarkably comfortable for the first few miles. That's, yeah. that's the point. Yeah. The point is that you're feeling good about it. Yeah, and that's part of my issue with sometimes running with the group is that if – there are people that I like to run with, but they want to push the pace on the long run. And I do not like pushing my pace on my long run. No, you all. do not. No, I like to keep my long run nice and slow, nice and easy, conversational, heart rate low. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to find that balance between wanting to run with my friends and also knowing what my body needs yeah, during that long run. That's a tough balance. Yeah. 
Um, this does not apply to a huge amount of people, but I want to just put it in there. People who are naturally high in fast twitch muscle fibers are not necessarily going to get huge benefits from super slow, long distance running. Oh, that's interesting. Because I feel like I'm built more with more fast twitch. I've converted over the years. You've been slowly converting <laughs> But I think those. genetically I, I would have more faster twitch muscle fibers versus yeah, but like you. They're actually slowly converting themselves to slow twitch muscle fibers mm-hmm. or like the transitional ones. Well, yeah, they're in, in the middle. They're in that middle phase. <laughs> which transitioning. Is nice. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, one more point about how fast to go. The faster you are, the more pace ranges you can cover. So depending on how fast you can run, and we get people that that ask us, um, just casually ask us because we get running questions from from a variety of people. Hey, I found a training plan that says I'm supposed to go at my at my marathon pace, but I've never run anything beyond a 5K. What does that even mean? Right. It's like well. It, it, it depends. Like for some people, their marathon pace is their long, slow run because a marathon, like it, they couldn't fathom running, like racing a marathon, like to push yourself to like a faster than normal level and be going 26 miles seems insane. Mm-hmm. So their marathon pace is pretty much their low level running. Mm-hmm. Um, the faster you get, the, the more that you can differentiate between marathon pace and something slower than marathon pace. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can race a marathon somewhere around six minutes per mile and I try and do my slow runs at around seven minutes per mile. So I try and get that minute gap in between the two mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it varies. I think that in my opinion, the, the cutoff there is if you're racing a marathon at over 10 minutes per mile, that that's also your long distance, easy, relaxing pace. If you're racing it much faster than 10 minutes per mile, that you should be able to slow it down to run uh, your long run. So you don't think that if someone's trying to race a half marathon or a marathon at 10 minutes a mile, they shouldn't be doing their longer runs at like 11 or 12? Uh, they can. I'm just not sure they're going to be getting that much benefit out of it. Why not? Because uh, I I feel like their form is going to start breaking down substantially. Like if you're if you're running, if you can feel it and you're you're getting comfortable out there and you've got good time on your feet and you're not feeling like your your cadence is off and your whole form is thrown when you start running 11 or 12 minute miles, then sure you're definitely gaining benefits out of it. But I think somewhere in that that. 10 minute range is is roughly where if that's your marathon pace that that's also your long distance running pace and because that means that you're running a marathon in around four and a half hours that's okay. a that's a long time running mm-hmm. so if you're doing that then when you go off on a long run you're not really going to want to be out there much more than three three to four hours mm-hmm. so that's that's whatever pace that gets you hmm. Okay. I mean, it's interesting. Every pace calculator on the internet would disagree with you, though. I think that every pace calculator on the internet is based off of elites. Okay. So if you're racing a marathon... Yes. Mm-hmm. They're all they're all based off of elite or slightly sub-elite athletes. Okay. They're, are, they're based off of, one, 
probably most of them are based off of men. And two, they're probably based off of men running a marathon around somewhere between 215 and 225. Mm -hmm. And then they look at their training paces all based off of that. And then they just adjust them back using a calculator. Mm -hmm. Not because they've done any sort of studies on people running three, three and a half, four, four and a half hour marathons. Mm -hmm. Are there any studies out there? Have you looked? Most from... Anything that I've looked into, the pace calculators are all based off of uh, sub-elite athletes. So no, you're I know, looking but at, I'm saying, I'm just saying, research studies in general, looking at it's really hard. Most there's not a lot of research studies based off of the pacing benefits for your casual everyday runner. Mm, maybe we should start. They're, they're just they're just not really out there. Most first off, most distance studies are based off of cyclists. Mm. There's not even a lot based off of runners. Mm-hmm. And then most of the cyclist studies are done based off of sub-elite cyclists, which right. are still operating on a ridiculously high level. I think we need to start collecting some data. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> be the real-life runners research Perfect. team as well. All right. So we'll start sending out surveys soon. There we go. Okay, so that pretty much covers how fast you should be doing your long run. And if you have a specific question about your situation, please feel free to send us an email. You can find us at kevin at realliferunners.com or angie at realliferunners.com. Shoot us an email. We'd be happy to you know, help you out with what your pacing should be. Yeah, try and translate yeah. the online, online pace converter right. that you found. Yeah, because I mean, the online pace calculators are helpful, but they should be used as a guideline and not like hard and fast numbers. Like there are running coaches out there that will basically take you, they'll give you a run test and then they'll take those numbers and they'll plug them into a calculator and pop out all your training paces. And they say, okay, here are the runs you do at these paces. And these are the results you'll get. And that's just a bunch of baloney. It's just not how that works. It's just not how that works. You know, that is not a coach that is a robot. So if you, you know, I mean that that's that gets into the art of coaching that we talk about um, sometimes with our with our clients and our and our runners. And it's not just about the numbers; it's also knowing what you should be doing outside of the numbers, like what adaptations your body needs as an athlete. So, anyway, with all that being said, um, there are definitely nuance to all these training paces. So, if you have any questions, please. Feel free to shoot us an email at any time. We love to to read those emails from our listeners, and and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Perfect. All right. So moving on, um, we've covered how fast we should do our long runs. Now let's talk about what you like to call long run bonuses. It's the long run bonuses. Yes. And and by that, he means adding some speed work into your long run, which is typically, you know, it, it is an atypical thing for a long run. He's like sitting over here laughing to himself. But basically, on most of your long runs, let's just point this out first. On most of your long runs, we would recommend going at a slow, easy, conversational pace, because that's all, a lot of the adaptations that we've talked about already, the, both the physical and the mental adaptations are based on that long, slow, easy run. Okay. Yes. hundred percent with you. Even elites are, when they start throwing in speed into their long runs, this is not a weekly thing. Right. They still have long runs that are, you know, it's extremely long, but they are long and easy long runs. Right. Putting speed into it happens maybe every third week, every fourth week, like Mm -hmm. once a month kind of thing, once every three weeks. Yes. Okay. So the longer 
your race, the more advantages you're going to have by incorporating some speed work into your training. Because let's just be honest, especially as real life runners, we don't have a lot of time during the week, probably. I mean, I would say, you know, if you've got a job, if you've got family, if you've got a lot of other obligations during the week, there's a very short amount of time that you have to devote to your run and to your workout. And there are some really, really good workouts that you should be doing or could be doing um, to help get you faster, make you stronger, build more um, mental and physical adaptations, but they are just longer workouts because when you are running at harder paces, you need more recovery in between. So like Kevin will give me sometimes like, okay, this will be a, you know, you'll do mile repeats or two mile repeats. And the recovery is like five to six minutes in between these sets. So if you, when you start to add up all the time, we're looking at an hour or sometimes even a little bit longer than an hour. And if you don't have that time during the week, then that's a great time to, you know, that's a great workout to then incorporate into a long run on the weekend. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a slightly different direction from where I was taking this, but yeah, Oh, sorry. I was thinking just straight into long runs. There's a little bit of variety that you can add into this, but, um, before I get to there, let me hit on what you just hit, what you pointed out there is, yeah, the workouts that are really time consuming, you could, instead of doing a long run, do a, a lengthy, more time consuming workout, Mm -hmm. you know, to do a full warm up and cool down and then five times a mile at 5k pace or five times a mile at like just over 5k pace with appropriate recovery, that's going to take a long time to do Yeah, and you're going to be exhausted. So that's something that you could do and replace a long run. I would Mm -hmm. not do this very often because you're skipping the long run for that week. Right. Um, but there's, there's a good variety variety of, of workouts. That, well, and that's like you said, you know, it's maybe once a month that you would do something like this. Right. And you're, you, you get the trade-off of like, okay, what exactly am I training for? Why would I do this workout instead of a long run mm-hmm. based off of the race that's coming up based off of what, uh, what kind of background I've done for the last three to four weeks or even like three to four months, which workout is going to be most optimum for me to hit right now? What, right. what am I lacking in the most? And that goes back to the art of coaching. Perfect. Yeah. So other than that, we also, we're also talking about adding in other speed into your long run. Yeah. Just right into the long run. Um, and there's a few ways to do this. One of the easiest ways to do this is at the end of a long run, it's one of your favorite things to do at the end of a long run is to add strides once you're done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love adding strides at the end of my long run because I feel very stiff most of the time at the end of my long run because my legs and my hips and my knees and my ankles, like all of, you know, my lower body and even my upper body, really. Like there are some times that my elbows feel really sore because I've spent so much time in that (laughs) That position. position. (laughs) And like, you know, when you're running at a slower, easier pace, you're not getting the same range of motion in your legs. You don't have to kick your legs back as far. You don't have to drive your knees up as much. So you're just going through a smaller range of motion, which then increases that stiff feeling. So at the end of the long run, I do like to sometimes add in four to six strides where you're, you know, sprinting. It's not a complete 100% all out sprint, but it it is a nice pickup because I just like to get my legs cycling through a a larger range of motion. I, on the other hand, can't stand doing strides after a long run. (laughs) I had to do it a couple of times in college and like we'd come back off of an 18 miler and coach was like, all right, now let's get a few strides in on the track. And we're like, 
what are you nuts? I'm going to go get breakfast now. <laughs> I just did 18. I'm going to go eat. Oh, um, but it, it sounded, good. Oh, I, it was, it's never been my favorite thing. You love it. And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that are like, huh, I've never thought of doing strides at the end of the long run. Mm. But if you finish the long run, and you feel a little bit stiff, try throwing some strides, ease into them. Okay. Yeah. Don't go from a standstill to really just right. going ease into that dis ease into that higher speed and then ease down from that higher yeah. speed. Think of it as like, uh, like a pace hill where you you climb up to the top and then you you slow yourself back down the other yeah, side yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the easiest ways to add in a little bit of speed onto your long distance day mm-hmm. um, some of the things that you can put into a run add some surges through the run okay so if you're going off on say like a 16 mile run put in like two minutes on two minutes off eight times in the middle of a run mm-hmm it's it's a great way to just sort of break up the monotony of the run and just sort of adds a little bit where you get this little extra speed and then you still have another six miles at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of rough. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also do the same thing, but do it all the way at the end of the run, mm-hmm. okay, where you close the run out and you do your final like two to three miles where you're doing minute on, minute off, or two minutes on, two minutes off, where your on pace is not flying. It would at most get down to say like half marathon pace, where you just kind of pick it up a little bit and then go back to your easy pace and then pick it up a little bit. Like you were saying, it gets the legs moving. It increases your range of motion. It kind of alleviates the stiffness. Um, when I, I get through the list of all these guys, I'll highlight the the purpose that all of them have, which is a fantastic benefit. Um, but one of my favorite ones to do when when I was back on full marathon training cycle is to try and close the last few miles of a long run, dropping down over one to three miles down into my marathon or just under my marathon pace. Mm -hmm. You know, if I could finish a 20 miler and hit the last mile at sub six, I was spent when I got back to the house, Mm -hmm. but I just felt so strong that I was able to do that thing, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it it serves some, it's an extra benefit on the back end of your long run. Yeah, definitely. And I can see the physical and mental things that that could bring to you. Right. So part of why you would do this is, uh, to try and increase your body's, um, like falling into that fuel debt where you just have no glycogen left. Now you're and talking about all of these things that we all just of mentioned, these. right? Just adding, adding some speed, speed to your long run. Right. Okay. I think the biggest benefit of adding strides at the end of it is really just to kind of increase your range of motion and, and decrease the stiffness. Yeah. But adding some of this speed into the long run, um, is a great way to try and deplete your glycogen even faster. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have time to get in a 20 miler, you could do say like a 14 miler, but put some speed into the middle of it. So that way your body has to burn through the glycogen faster. And so you move into that depletion state quicker. Right. Or So you're still running on tired legs without the additional mileage. Yeah. And that's why it's nice to do some of the speed on the very back end of it. So do like a a 14, 15 miler, but do the last three miles dropping down to marathon pace or so. Mm -hmm. And those miles, you're already depleted and now you're asking the muscles to push. So they're going to be able, they're going to feel that fatigue that a 20 miler would get onto them. And so then they're going to have to adapt even better and even faster. Yep. So if you couldn't tell by our 53 minute episode so far, we are a big fan of long runs around here. And we definitely feel like you should be in um, adding in a long run to your training cycle if you are training for a specific race. Or really just, just for 
overall physical benefits yeah. and mental benefits. Like right. there's great benefits to every aspect of a long run. Right. And if, if you're a, a casual runner that just likes to run three miles a day, maybe you consider adding in a five miler on the weekend because you will reap some benefits of it. You know, those three miles that you run during the week will probably start to feel a little easier if you do a five on the weekend. Yeah. I mean, the same way as we've talked about, if you've never done speed, sprinkling in a little bit of speed makes your other runs feel a little bit easier. If you just are every day out there running your three miles, suddenly adding a four and then a five and then a six, build it up to a six on the weekend, Mm -hmm. that three is going to feel nicer. Yeah. And it's funny because once you start to do it, then your mind might start thinking like, oh, I never considered doing a, a half marathon before, but Maybe I could, you know, you start to then wonder what you're capable of. And then maybe you can start to experiment and take some chances, which is even more fun. Ah, wonder, experiment and take chances. There's a good theme for the show. There you go. All right, guys. So that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today, especially if you are out on your long run right now. For our show notes and any of the things that we mentioned, you can head over to the website, realliferunners.com. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email us. You can find us at Angie at realliferunners.com or Kevin at realliferunners.com. So shoot us an email if you want to just say hi or if you have a question that you would love for us to answer, either you know, just by replying to you, or maybe it's something that we could even talk about on the show. We would appreciate, you know, anything that you guys, um, suggest, and we would be happy to offer any advice and suggestions to help you to improve your running to where you want it to be. So thank you again for joining us and we will catch you next week. 